for sharing with us the scripture. It's kind of a bitter with Bethany. Testing one, two, there we are. Somewhat. It's been a blessing to have Bethany with us over these, these years together and uh, we're so appreciative of all that, that she has done to bring her talent and for all those who do that on a weekly basis. But we have certainly enjoyed having part of our church. Bless us with your talent. So thank you for doing that. I uh, want to add my welcome to you this morning. I'm the pastor here. If we can get this thing working right. Testing one, two there. Okay. Um, I want to add my welcome to you as well this morning. As, um, any of you may be new, but uh, delighted to be doing this series with you. We have uh, we're actually bringing it to a close this Sunday morning. As you hear this text, Got all kind of gremlins this morning here. <laughs> this As you just listen to what God has to say to us and open our spirits to His presence. So, would you bow with me for a moment of prayer together? God, we just yield our moments to you here in this place, our thoughts, our hearts, our lives, our minds, that you may speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit and your Word. God, we know you call us in this place to give praise to you, but also to be shaped by your love and by your word. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts in this place, not only be acceptable to you, but that they might help us to grow in our relationship with you, grow closer, more of the people you call us to be. So God bless us in this moment. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Today, we're, like I said, we're concluding a series of sermons that we began three weeks ago. I'll do something different here. Let's switch over to the other one. Let's try this. Technology is great when it works. Okay. You got me on this here? All right, good. All right. Like I said, we're bringing to a conclusion our series of sermons where we've been learning about our Methodist heritage. We have um, been learning about how our heritage shapes who we are today and how it has the power to to shape us into the kind of Christians that we strive to be for the future. So we've been looking at that. In fact, um, this past week was the uh, 50th anniversary of our merger to become the United Methodist Church. But we're kind of going a lot way back further than that. We're looking at the beginnings of the Methodist movement. And my aim in this series has, has been not to try to convey in any way that Methodist or Methodism are better than anybody else when it comes to church denominations. My goal has not been to convey that uh, we have a, a, a stronger position on the truth than other denominations do, or that we're better Christians than any other Christians. 
Instead, my hope has been to try to teach you some things about our Methodist history that uh, maybe you knew, some of you knew this, some of you didn't know this, but uh, it's, it's more than just trying to inform you about these things. I'm hoping that you will be influenced by it. My, my real hope is that we might uh, come together in a way and reclaim some of the powerful elements of our Christian heritage as Methodist, because I truly believe that our heritage has a lot to say to our life today in the world that we live in as Methodists. Uh, last week, we talked about how John Wesley didn't try to um, st- preach a new kind of gospel. He didn't try to uh, teach a new kind of theology. In fact, John Wesley said that uh, we're preaching the same Christian message that has been preached throughout the ages. We believe in a biblical Christianity. We believe in a faith that was um, pro- pro- proclaimed by the apostles. We believe in the faith that was summarized in the creeds that we say, like the Apostles' Creed and, and those kind of things in the early Christian church. Uh, we didn't try to introduce a new kind of uh, Christology to the church or a new approach to the gospel. Instead, what Wesley sought to do was to try to create a movement within the existing church of his day. Um, he wanted to challenge people to pursue a faith that was authentic. He tried to encourage people to pursue and to live out their faith on a daily basis, to live out what they claim to be more than just speaking words. He didn't try to create a new denomination. Again, he was trying to reform and to revitalize the existing Christian church of his day in the Church of England. As we know, he looked in his day, and um, the church of his day, he reflected upon his own life, and what he began to see was that the people of his day that called themselves Christians were not actually living out uh, a life that was consistent with the Bible and his teachings. They were being baptized. They were um, going to church regularly, but they really weren't growing beyond that in their Christian lives. Uh, People were not disciplined in ways that would help them to grow in their faith and become more deeply committed Christians, and they were not carrying out actions in their lives. They were not doing things that would help to make the world a better place and make a difference for Christ in this world. And so he looked at all of that, and Wesley looked at passages like we have before us today in our scripture lesson first, from First Peter, and he saw how people were not preparing their minds for action, as uh, Peter says. They were not disciplining themselves. They were not setting all of their hope on the grace of Jesus Christ. They were not being like obedient children, which we find in that scripture passage. Instead, they were conforming to the desires that they formerly had. In other words, they were not living holy lives. As John Wesley looked at all this, he realized that without this desire in people's hearts to live holy lives, to live lives that are like the the Christ, he said, if we don't have a passion for that, a heart for that, then what we're going to end up with, he feared, was what he called the form of religion that lacked the power of religion. So the Methodist movement really began as a way to try to call the existing church back to its first love to call it back to its purpose. And um, its purpose was to uh, try to uh, inspire people, to encourage people, to equip people, to be able to live out fully authentic lives as Christians. To be the kind of Christians where people fully surrendered their lives to God, wholly devoted their lives to God, to love the Lord their God with all the heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. This was the emphasis of early Methodism. 
it wasn't so much about creating a doctrine as it was about trying to create a way of life for people to live out their faith in a daily basis. And it sought to reform and to revitalize the church's mission. So that's really where we begin with. And, of course, you know, that resistance that the Church of England had against Wesley and um, the fact that several of the Methodists moved to the New America. And then you had this thing called the Revolutionary War. Due to all those factors, we did actually end up with another denomination called the Methodist Church. But these elements that we've been talking about over the last few weeks that we're going to be talking about today are all an essential part of who we are even today and what we strive to be as Methodists. So... We've looked in this time together, the series, we've looked at the uh, beginnings of Methodism. We looked at the founder, John Wesley, and tried to understand his journey and those uh, early Methodist movement. We've also looked at the basic tenets and beliefs that are part of our heritage as Methodists. Today I want to try to focus on the life or what I would call the practices of being a Methodist Christian. Uh, what were the things that were uniquely a part of being Methodist? And I'm going to do this in the hopes that as you identify and listen to these uh, disciplines, these uh, lifestyles, practices of the early Methodists, you will consider adopting those as, as your own lifestyle, ways that it would help you to grow in your faith and become more holy. Again, I remind you, uh, Wesley was not trying to start a new denomination. Uh, he was a priest in the Anglican Church there in England, and he was seeking to create a movement to reform or to revitalize his existing church. And so he would go out and he would preach wherever he could find a place to preach, which often was not in the, uh, the, the churches of that day because most of the priests wouldn't let him preach in their churches. He was too enthusiastic and had other things to say. And uh, so when um, uh, he would go out and preach just anywhere he could, in the fields and whatever, and when people responded to his message, and said, yes, I want to live, I want to be that kind of Christian, I want to have a more holy life, uh, pursue God more holy with my life, then John Wesley would organize those people into groups so that they would begin to meet together to encourage one another in their faith. And this was actually Wesley's hallmark, I mean, his genius. Uh, Wesley was not the greatest preacher. <laughs> and there was other preachers like George Whitfield that was a far better preacher, and he was Methodist also, uh, than, than John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley was not the most inspiring preacher, but he was a great organizer. And so when people responded to his preaching and they said, yes, I want to have that kind of life as a Christian, he would organize them into groups that he called religious societies. And these were um, groups that, whose primary aim, again, was to encourage people in their faith, to hold them accountable, to growing in their faith and meeting together regularly. Uh, now, he didn't want to compete with the church of that day's worship services. And so he met these, with these religious societies during the week. Uh, he would meet um, in a place that he would call a preaching house. This was a, a large building or some place that could hold a lot of people in one room uh, that they could meet together. And uh, again, he said he called these places the Methodist religious societies of the day. And in these society meetings, when people came together during the week, after having heard the word, they'd come together and he would say... Um, they, they would gather for, for, first of all, they'd start singing. They'd sing hymns together. Then they would uh, pray together. And they would uh, read scripture. And then someone would stand up and preach. Now, when Wesley was around or nearby, he would be the one who would preach. But as these religious societies began to grow and uh, go from town to town and, and multiply, he couldn't be at all of them. So Wesley appointed lay preachers who had a gift for preaching and teaching and, and uh helping the Bible relate to people's daily lives. And some of these societies would meet every 
day of the week. They'd meet in early mornings before work. Some would meet after our work, and you just came to which ones you could come to. But the church in that day, when you went to the worship services in the Church of England, they were very liturgical. Uh, they were comprised mostly of the sacraments, Holy Communion, and the liturgy, and, and, that, and that was basically it. Um, Wesley also believed in the importance of the sacraments, but again, he didn't want to compete with the church, so he didn't practice and have the sacrament of Holy Communion there at these religious societies during the week. In fact, the, the focus of these times together were singing and preaching, singing and preaching. Wesley believed in what the Apostle Paul said, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So his focus in helping people to live more holy lives and be more committed and surrendered to God was to do that through singing and through preaching. And if you reflect upon that, that's actually what has shaped our worship today in the Methodist Church. It's interesting. I was talking with a couple of my uh, clergy friends here um, recently, and, and uh, one of them's a Roman Catholic priest and one is an Episcopal priest, and we were talking together. You know, I've got preacher talk about churches, and this, the subject of sermons came up, and uh, we began to talk about how much time that we spent on, on sermons on Sunday morning and during the week. And when I told them how much time I spent on it, they all, both of them laughed at me. They said, geez, I'm glad we don't have to do that. Uh, one of them said, uh, said man, I, I, I don't I never preach more than seven minutes on a Sunday morning, well, I always try to keep my sermons below 10 minutes or 10 minutes max. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> oh, if we could only be so lucky. Huh? Well, listen, the focus in their worship services is all about the sacraments of Holy Communion together and the liturgy. That's really what they focus on. And again, our tradition understands the importance of that. We offer the sacrament of Holy Communion one, the first Sunday of every month and at other times as well. But the focus of our services has always been preaching and singing. That's the primary focus. John Wesley, by the time of his life, time was over, he had preached over 40,000 sermons. He preached wherever he went. And his great singing, his brother wrote hymns about. The average sermon in John Wesley's day was between 35 to 40 minutes long. And uh, the longest sermon that John Wesley preached was three hours. You thought you had it bad. <laughs> hours, you know, he was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He just kept walking through it at three hours long. I really felt sorry for that congregation that day. But, uh, but this is what United Methodists were about. They were about good preaching that connected the Bible to daily life as they instructed people and in how, how to do that. Uh, one of the reasons, not that people say, well, you, you preach more of a teaching kind of sermon than what you do on Sunday morning. And that, that's true because what I have observed is that... Uh, in a, any given Sunday, or the average attendance in our church is you know, less than 10% of the people who are members of this church, probably even less than that, uh, actually attend Sunday school classes or any Bible studies or small groups that we offer throughout the week for people to, to grow in their faith. That's, like I said, it's probably less than 10%, and, uh, which, by the way, is not the desired uh, objective for a good United Methodist Christian. Uh, Wesley actually required that uh, everybody, all Methodists, attend a small group, some kind of Bible study or small group session apart from worship. Uh, that was a requirement to be a Methodist. So I do teach more of a teaching style of worship on Sunday mornings because what I recognize is that most of the people who attend our worship services, this is the only opportunity they're going to get to uh, hear the Word of God preached in a way that they're, they're hearing how to apply the God, how Bible to their life and to understand what it means for their life. Uh, so preaching has always been a part of our worship experiences in the Methodist Church, but also singing. 
Now, when we think of singing today, we think of singing being a way that um, connects us with God and we experience God in worship. It's a, a way that we praise and worship God. And indeed, that's an important part of singing. But for John and Charles Wesley, uh, singing was so much more than just that. There were people in John, and Wesley's, John Wesley's day who the majority of the common folk could not read, but they could remember a song. And so what um, Wesley realized, and particularly his brother Charles, is that singing is the language of the heart. And so they said, you know, if we can put Christian teachings into songs, then that's a way that when they sing those songs, the word of God is getting into their hearts. You see how that works? I mean, this is why we have uh, children's choirs today that we try to keep going. And we have you learning songs because that's how it works. When you're singing, you're actually bearing the word of God within your heart in a way that you remember it. And you, you know, how many of you sing some of these songs during the week? You know, it just it becomes a part of your life. And they recognize this. So when John's brother, Charles, wrote over 6,000 hymns for the church, uh, it was more than just finding a way for you to worship by singing on Sunday morning some songs you like or uh, just uh, connecting with God in that experience, but rather it was a way of teaching theology. He was creating a way for people to learn about the faith, to remember the tenets, the theology, the understanding of our faith. Uh, many of the songs that we have, particularly in the traditional worship service, but here as well, these are songs that proclaim what we believe about God. Uh, how we experience God, what God does for us in the music. And so, again, this is part of what singing has always been about. <clears throat> so the religious societies, they had singing, they had preaching as a part of it, but it was also a setting by which you could receive tools for living out your life, your Christian life on a daily basis. It really gave you the tools for this. In 1743, John and Charles drafted what they called the General Rules of the United Societies. That's what they called the societies after a while. When they multiplied so many, they called them the United Societies. And uh, he, he created these rules. Now, any society or organization you become a part of today, whether it's the uh, Rotary Club or I don't know what it is, there are certain rules you have to agree to follow in order to be a part of that club, that society, right? Well, the same was true when it came to the Methodist societies. There were three rules that every person had to agree to follow in order to be a part of the religious Methodist societies. Now, these rules really aimed at helping you to live out your Christian faith, helping you to grow in your Christian faith. They were the method for being Methodist, that's uh, what they called us. So they were so simple that anybody could remember them, which, again, in that day and time, that was the point. You wanted it to be very simple. And um, the idea was that if you lived out these three rules, then you would be living more of a Christian life. You would be growing in that relationship with God every day. You'll be fully devoted more so to God and becoming the person God wanted you to be. The first of those is do no harm. You've heard some of these, I'm sure. Uh, the first general rule was do no harm. Every morning when you get up, you pray, God, help me to do no harm today. Help me to avoid any form of evil where I may be hurting another person today. Do no harm. The second general rule was to do all the good that you can. And you've heard that famous saying of Wesley, do all the good that you can by all the means that you can and all the ways that you can and all the places that you can, by all the times you can, but to all the people you can and every way that you can, you just try to do as much good as you can every day. Then the third general rule was to attend to the ordinances of God. Now, the ordinances of God referred to those spiritual disciplines that God gives us in order to connect with him personally. 
like Bible study, prayer, fasting, uh, worship times together, taking the sacraments, meeting together in Christian uh, groups, working together, uh, doing acts of kindness, and a whole host of others. These were the general rules of the early Methodist. But I, I sincerely believe that these are still relevant for us today. In fact, I would argue that we need them now more than ever. Uh, these are things that we can put into practice in our own life. If you practice these three things, you will be growing in your Christian life. Hopefully it will help you to attain that Christian goal of living a more holy life like Jesus. Now, there are several things I want to share with you this morning about part of our heritage that shapes who we are today. We've talked about some already, but uh, some other things that Wesley understood, for instance, he realized it's not enough for people just to go to worship on Sunday morning and receive the sacraments. It's not enough for you to attend these religious society meetings whenever you could. Uh, he said there's something more that you've got to do when you're, you're worshiping, you're praying, you're singing, you're doing, uh, you're listening to someone preach, and you're all this teaching and stuff, but there's, there's something else that is essential to becoming more holy in your Christian life. And that was that Wesley expected everybody who was a Methodist to be a part of some small group that met in people's homes. Everybody had to be a member of a small group, and these were groups of about 12 people that met in people's homes during the week for the purpose of um, shepherding one another, encouraging one another in the faith, uh, praying for one another, coming alongside of each other, holding each other accountable to the faith. He called these uh, small group meetings class meetings. And today, even you'll see this in most Methodist churches where this is still part of the practice of how we do ministry and we do religious life together. We offer Sunday school classes. We offer Bible studies. We have other small groups that meet during the week. But most Methodist churches really still have this emphasis of trying to encourage their congregation to be a part of small groups that meet in each other's, each other's homes during the week. Again, for this purpose of shepherding and encouraging and helping one another grow in their faith. Wesley felt that you really could not be an authentic Christian apart from this kind of interaction with other Christians. So he actually made it a requirement <laughs> that you had to be a member, you had to be participating actively in these small groups. He gave all of the people in the Methodist church tickets. And on these tickets was a place for the small group leader that you were attending to sign, uh, indicating that you were faithfully attending the small groups during the week. And in order for you to attend one of the religious society meetings where they had the preaching and the singing and all this stuff, you had to present this ticket at the door to show that you'd been doing these things and you were a member in good standing. If you didn't have the ticket, you couldn't get in. Just Can you imagine that? <laughs> On Sunday morning, that you all had to present your ticket at the door to the ushers when you tried to get in here to worship, saying, yeah, see, I've been attending small group. I've been attending the Bible studies. Sunday school. I've been doing all this. I say, okay, we can let you in. That's kind of crazy. We don't see that today. It's like, come whomever. But <clears throat> uh, back in that day, that tells you how serious they took this idea of meeting together in small groups, how important that was. And again, this is something that we still try to emphasize in our life together today. Um, Growing in your faith, becoming the Christian that God calls you to be, really cannot happen just by coming here on Sunday mornings. Although this is a very important part of what we do, just like the religious society meetings. But you really can't get to know one another here. This, I mean, most that you'll ever speak to each other is when Warren says, turn and say good morning to each other, you know. <laughs> That's about it. You really don't need to know what's going on in each other's lives. You don't get to pray for one another and, and engage with each other. It just doesn't happen simply in the context of, of worship. And the trend that we see happening here in America today is we're seeing people 
attending worship services on a less regular basis. You know, most Christians, you know, if I attend once or twice a month, I'm, I'm being regular. Um, so with that trend going on, I think it's ever more important that we make it a priority to find ways to connect with other Christians and being a part of things like these in small groups where we're helping one another grow and stay accountable to our faith and to become the Christians God called us to be. It's a powerful tool that you can use to help one another. So if you're not a part of some small group that we have ongoing here in the church, I would encourage you to, to get involved. Um, if those are not meeting your needs, and I encourage you to create one, create one on your own. Get some of your friends to start meeting together at your home on a regular basis. And we, we've got resources we can supply you with that as well. So this is a powerful way that we can do this. Another characteristic that we see as influenced and shaped who we are as Methodists today was Wesley's emphasis on lay leadership, the importance of lay leadership. The truth is most of the preachers who preached at uh, the religious societies in uh, Wesley's day were not ordained clergy. They were lay people, just like you. Wesley believed in the biblical model for ministry, that it was not to be the preacher doing all the ministries of the church, Rather, it was to be the people of God doing the ministries of God. We believe in the priesthood of all believers, that all baptized Christians have been ordained for Christian service in the world. That's our understanding. In a few weeks, we're going to be having um, the young people who are going through confirmation classes in our church uh, be confirmed in their faith. And it's a day they're going to come on a Sunday morning. They'll kneel before the congregation. We'll lay hands on them, and we will ordain them for Christian service in the world. The truth is, all of us who take on the name of Christ and then baptize the church, we're all called, set apart for Christian ministry in this world. Uh, And listen, we we have over 800 members who are a part of this congregation. Believe it or not, their names are on the rolls. Some of them we don't see. But uh, we we have over 800 members. When they have need, they expect the church to be there. Here's the deal. You've got two pastors right now, soon to be only one pastor, as Chris is going to be retiring at the end of this next month. So there's just no way that can work. 800 members and one pastor, unless we understand that the role of ministry does not rest solely upon the the clergy, but rather it rests equally among all of us. We're all sharing in this together. And we see this in a host of ways that are already going on in this church. If you will give up one of those brochures that uh, Lisa mentioned earlier in the service to the offertory, it lists just a bunch of the ways that people are involved in this church leading various ministries in our church. We have a congregational care ministry here that um, lay people are a part of. There's a large number of people, I don't know, 30, 40 people we got involved in that, where we share in taking care of the pastoral care needs of this congregation. There's no way that one pastor or two can take care of all the pastoral care needs. And so we share in that role through congregational ministries. Uh, our Sunday school classes, our Bible studies, and our small groups are led not by clergy, but they're led by lay people. Our boards and our committees are not chaired by clergy and led by them. They're led by lay people. We have equal representation between clergy and lay people that serve on district and uh, conference levels of the church. We believe that lay people, yourselves, were all called to lead and to serve God together in ministry. This has always been an important part of how we think ministry and how our Christian lives are to be lived out within the Methodist church. Another important part of our heritage is how Wesley sought to bring together reason and religion. Wesley believed that reason and religion should go hand in hand. Today we have a lot of people that are uh, seeking knowledge without 
spirituality, and that can be a very dangerous thing. Uh, When you have reason being divorced from religion and faith, it can lead people to think of life being um, less than human. Uh, It can lead us to um, missing out on what life and humanity is really all about. I mean, reason just kind of boils life down and people down to nothing more than numbers and statistics. And that can be painful to people. Wesley, I think, was right about that. But he also believed that if you have religion being divorced from reason, you end up with a faith that's very shallow uh, at its best uh, or at its worst. It can be leading people into behavior and things that are dangerous and hurtful to others. And we've seen how religion has been abused and misused in those ways over the world history. So, again, Wesley believed that reason and religion should go hand in hand. In fact, uh, by the end of his life, he was insisting that all of his lay preachers uh, be what he called informed Christians. And his people in the church, he encouraged them to read. Wesley wrote over 200 books. I mean books. These are not little books either. These are big books. And he wrote over 200 books, and he required his preachers to read them. He asked his lay people in the churches to read them as a way that they might uh, gain knowledge and be kept up on the uh, things of the world and to have that understanding and uh, the informed Christians. This is why pastors, even today in the United Methodist Church, tend to go through a much more extensive seminary training uh, than pastors do in other denominations because this is just part of who we are. This is why we offer Sunday school. This is why we offer Bible studies. This is why we offer small groups and other things to happen because we want you to uh, be informed Christians. We believe that knowledge and uh, religion and faith should be held together and go hand in hand. And we want you to be growing in that matter. We want you to use your brain when it comes to your faith. So you hear us encouraging that. And then the final characteristic that I want to lift up this morning that I think shapes who we are today from our heritage was that Wesley believed that our faith must always manifest itself in good works. Uh, Wesley, he took seriously Jesus' teaching that it's not enough for us just to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. True faith. Uh, To love God is always going to be manifested in service to our neighbor, loving our neighbors ourselves. If we're going to be holy, if we're going to live like Christ did, then we're going to have to be willing to get our hands dirty by serving our neighbor. This is why, as Methodists even today and here in this church, we are continually challenging you and offering opportunities for you to try to meet the needs and make a difference in uh, the needs of the world around us and here in this community. We're always doing that. Uh, For us, it's not enough just to know all about God. It's not enough to to know about the Bible. It's it's not enough to have ecstatic experiences of God and worship and when our hearts, to be fully Christian, um, to serve God with our hands, serving our neighbors, we love ourselves. That's got to be part of it. If that isn't there, then something's wrong with the other part. Um, One of the hallmarks for Methodism is trying to maintain this balance between the head, the heart, and the hands. That's part of who we are when it comes to our Christian lives. All right, so those are the ways that uh, combine what we talked about in the last couple of weeks. Um, and you can go on our website and uh, get some of those you missed if you get it, have to get to see the ones today. But uh, these are some of the ways I think that our faith is influenced and who we are today. But I just want to share with you 
something about the end of Wesley's life that is quite remarkable. He lived to be 88 years old, which is, again, quite remarkable for someone in the 18th century. Most people didn't live that long. He outlived his family, he outlived his friends, even his detractors. He outlived them all. But when you look at Wesley's life, what you discover is that the, the span of his life that he had the most impact for the kingdom of God and for Christ was after he was 65 years of age. You know, we talk about retirement as being something we're all looking forward to. But you know retirement is not a biblical concept? <laughs> I hate to break it to you. Uh, <laughs> according to the Bible, uh, there's going to come a day when, yeah, we will not have to maybe work for our income. But at that stage in our life, we are to be more holy. We have more time to be wholly devoted to God and to serving God with our lives. Wesley said, as long as I have breath, I want to continue my praise toward my maker. You know, Wesley, up until the week that he died, was out preaching the gospel. He, he transformed all of Europe. He made such a difference there. And when it comes to your life, when you think about it, those of us who are coming to the end of our lives or coming to those times of retirement, or maybe you're approaching that, maybe you're already in it. But what I would encourage you to think of is that the best days of your life can be ahead of you when it comes to serving God, having an impact for the kingdom, making a difference, as long as you remember who you are and what you're called to do. In fact, Wesley um, was preaching that week before he died. It started raining, and he kept preaching, and they caught a cold, and eventually that's what uh, caused him to die. It's a remarkable life. And when it came to the Methodist Church, shortly before he died, he reflected upon it all and he spoke these words. He said, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America. But I am afraid, lest they should only exist as a dead sect, having the former religion without the power. And this undoubtedly will be the case, unless they hold fast both the doctrine, the spirit, and the discipline with which they first set out. This is why we've taken this journey over the last three weeks, talking about our Wesley and Methodist heritage, that we might renew that commitment to who we are and, and who we once were, committed to being the Christians God calls us to be. It's been a lot of fun exploring our Wesleyan and Methodist heritage with you over the last few weeks, and also we're working with our confirmation class. It kind of all went together in the 50th anniversary, but... As I said, our aim here has not been to try to say the Methodists are better than anybody else or we're more enlightened or anything like that. Um, I, our aim has been to recognize that, you know, we are a part of the Christian church around us, other denominations, and we see that we all have a part in the building of God's kingdom here on this earth. But there are some uniquenesses to us as United Methodists. And so I hoped in this time it would help you to begin to be proud of your heritage, that it might influence you to reclaim that heritage in a way that you find your life drawn closer to Christ. Because I, I really believe that the world needs Methodists now more than ever. People, Christians who are wholly devoted to God. People who are wholly surrendering their life to God, to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love their neighbors themselves. People who are longing to pursue holiness in their living so that others might come to know the love of God as well. That is my hope for our life, our journey together. In that spirit, I invite you to pray with me. 
Gracious God, we are so thankful for the people um, who are called those early Methodists, for their witness, their life, their stories. Thank you, God, for John and for Charles Wesley and for their influence that still shapes who we are today. God, I pray that you would raise up within this church a new generation of Methodists who are passionate about their faith, who are longing to know you with their intellect, with their hearts, and to serve you with their hands. Help us, O Lord, to share that passion that has been a part of the people of Methodists from the very beginning, that longing to reach people with the good news of God's grace, to reform the community, renew the church. To this end, O God, we offer to you our lives. We offer to you our church. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. He's a little bit shorter than me. (laughs) Let us all stand and sing our final song together.